Good morning. Is it okay if I stand here or is there feedback? Feedback? I can stay up here. I can walk up here. See, I'm a little taller than Chris. Chris is short, so I feel so tall up here. But I'll stand up here. This will be fine. Happy Memorial Day weekend. It's good to see uh, some of you guys uh, don't have a beach trip or a lake house that you go to. The true remnant of God remains in church uh, this Sunday. Uh, at our church, I'm Phil Chambers at Christ's Community Church. We meet in Helena, we meet in elementary school. So uh, we are used to things being uh, hung on the wall and out of place. And uh, I keep thinking about who rejoices the most at the end of school. I think, first of all, it's the teachers, right? School's out, they're excited. And second, it's got to be the setup crew for our church plant. They're like, the whole summer, we can leave it up. That is great. And I know our people are excited about that. Uh, I just want to encourage you. I have enjoyed so much getting to know Chris and patient, uh, patients. And they have been good friends to me and a good mentor. You guys are down the road from us from about uh, nine or ten months so I can watch you guys mess up, and then I can repeat the mess up in my own church. So uh, it's been fun for us. It's been a joy for me uh, to be with Chris and to see you guys. We pray for you guys regularly uh, here at Cross Creek. And uh, I want you to know this is a significant thing that you are doing. I mean, significant. You know, when you miss the, the sermon for the seventh time, you know, when you're not only setting up chairs but working in children's church, when you're just worn out. And I imagine 75% of you guys, our core group, have been here from the very beginning. It is exhausting. Uh, I want you to say, I want to tell you, it is totally worth it. You guys are making a significant difference and will make a significant difference. There are people in this community who will be introduced to Christ because of you, because of Christ in you. So is it hard? Absolutely it is hard. Is it worth it? Absolutely it is worth it. So be encouraged, uh, be renewed uh, in an assurance of what God has called you to do. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. When I knew Chris was going to our church to preach, I said, Chris, I want you to find your worst sermon and preach that one. Because I don't want anybody from my church coming to your church. I said, do you have like a good Leviticus sermon on like ceremonial laws or temple dimensions or something? Preach that one. That'll be a good one. Because I I don't want uh, Christ community to be... I want want people going, "Hmm, how far is uh, South Shades Crest Elementary? (laughs) So we're going to be looking at at Romans 8, uh, 1 through 6, and I'm going to read it uh, in a minute. But what Chris asked me to preach on this morning was, I've been doing my own mathematical calculations about the end of the world, and I've discovered something. Uh, I've discovered it's impossible to have mathematical calculations about the end of the world. Only God knows when Jesus will come back. Um. To be honest, I'm embarrassed by the whole situation. I hate it. I feel like it discredits what we as Christians have believed. And there's a lot of unbelievers who are just saying, well, that's just a church being silly again. Um, 
But having said that, I also am convinced that there were people who truly became converted as a result of that. You know, I talked about it in Scripture about whether from false motives or, or true Christ is preaching. Because of this, I rejoice. Now, this guy was a wacko. This guy falsely interpreted Scripture. But what I believe happened was that there were people who were convinced this actually could happen. Jesus could come back. Am I ready for that? And it brings back to what the, really the main question that every man and woman must answer is how can I be sure that on the day that I die or the day that God does send Jesus to come back that I will not be condemned? How can I be sure that when I die and when I stand before God, I will not be condemned? That's a significant question. It really is the most important question that every one of us have to answer. Now, I can't assure you when God's going to come back. And I can't even assure you that we're all going to live to, to 87, climb in bed in our pajamas, close our eyes, and that's going to be the day of our death. But what I can assure you is one of the most incredible and beautiful promises that Scripture gives to us. And that promise is, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, there is now and there will never be condemnation. You are as loved, you are as right with God right now as you will ever be. I'm sure that there's a few of you who struggle. Maybe you doubt your salvation. I want you to... I want you to listen to this message from God in His Scripture today. Some of you are here and you feel extreme shame by something that you've done maybe 30 years ago or maybe three days ago. And if we were able to project on the TV over here exactly what that was for every one of us, it would be as if the rapture was here. I would be running out the door if you guys could see some of the things I've done. Because I feel shame about that. For those of you who feel shame this morning, I want you to hear God's voice saying there is no shame. There is no for no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. So these are one of the, some of the most encouraging and also life-giving words in Scripture. So let's look at Romans 8. Verses 1 through 6. Do you guys stand when you read or stay seated? Stay seated? Stand? All right, let's stand. Let's do that. How about that? I'll let Chris clean up all the mess that I caused this week. He can clean that up next week. Uh, This is the word of the Lord from Romans 8, verses 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. 
Let me pray. Father, right now, uh, I ask, Spirit of God, that uh, you would cleanse me as your messenger. And uh, I also ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would behold wonderful things in your law. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you got an outline in, in your bulletin there. Uh, this is a lot of stuff in your outline. I usually don't put that much in there, but uh, the, there was so much meat uh, in this sermon that I figured it's better to for you guys to read along with me than for me to sit up here and uh, actually read a quote. You know how when you read a quote from a guy who's been dead 400 years ago, about halfway through, you kind of glaze over thinking about lunch. So I figured I'm going to put this in print so you can follow along there with me. This uh, passage, Romans uh, 8, 1 through 6, at Christ Community Church, uh, we as a church are memorizing a specific passage of Scripture each month. So for the month of June, we're doing Romans 8, 1 through 6, and we're memorizing it as a church. And one of the reasons that I chose this passage to memorize is because it's the gospel. I mean, this is the salvation that we have in Christ. And what I've... What I find is that there are a lot of people who get, you know, kind of edgy and itchy. They're like, oh, another sermon on the gospel. You're like, hey, pastor, I'm saved, okay? Can we move on? Can we get on to to theology? Can we get on to how we're supposed to live for God? No, you can't. Just in the sense that we're saved in the gospel, we live by the gospel. We never, ever graduate from knowing what we have received in Christ. In fact, Scripture says those who most glorify God with their lives are the ones who realize what they have received from Him. But the problem is, you and I, we forget it, don't we? You're like, okay, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved in Christ, now let me go out and live for Him. Martin Luther it's another one of those guys who have been dead for 400 years ago. I'll read you a quote from him. But he says, I must hearken to the gospel, which teaches me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ has done for me. It is the principal article of all Christian doctrine where the knowledge of all godliness consists. He says, the knowledge, if you want to be godly, take it back to the gospel. Then he says, uh, we should know this article well, teach it to others, and feed it into their heads continually. That's the role of Chris and I, is to come down the aisle and beat you over the head with this, and for you to take your Bible and beat me over the head, because I need it daily. Because we forget, don't we? We forget the, we forget the merciful initiative of God in our life to save us. We forget the promises of God to be in us, to be changing us. We need to be reminded daily of the mercy of God upon our life. And that our performance or lack of performance doesn't change our standing with God. We need to believe the gospel for ourselves. For it is the wellspring of all godliness. Well, there's three truths this morning that will hopefully help you and I today. The first one is that we are to rejoice because we have been set free from objective condemnation. Look at verse 1 in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That statement right there is is the penultimate statement of that entire chapter. In fact, you could also say that's the 
That's the, the crescendo of the entire book of Romans. You even arguably could say the entire scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me unpack that phrase and actually work backwards. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the condition. This phrase, whatever is said before that, is only conditional upon those who are in Christ Jesus. That implies that there are people who are in Christ and those who are without. We're not universalists. We don't believe that everybody goes to heaven. So a simple question for you this morning is, are you in Christ Jesus? To be in Christ Jesus is simply to turn from your sin, to turn from seeking your own pleasure and your own treasure and begin to treasure God, begin to turn towards Him. If you do that, then you are in Christ Jesus. But don't just assume just because you grew up in the South, you grew up going to church, you have an uncle who is a deacon in the church, you've been a good person, none of that will enable us to be in Christ Jesus. But if you see Jesus as the bearer of your sins, and if you love, long to love and cherish Him, then there's a good chance that you are in Christ Jesus. So that's the condition for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So, no condemnation, Scripture says. There is no condemnation. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about that objective and subjective condemnation in a minute. But I want you to, to let, that, let that truth settle on you just for a second. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. So what that meant was there at one time was condemnation. There at one time there was wrath. And those are words that our culture doesn't like to hear. I, I tried to think, how can I say it nicer? And I was like, why do I need to say it nicer? It's true. At one time there was no condemnation. At one time there was condemnation, but now there is no condemnation. We have a guy in our church, uh, Tom Farr is his name, and uh, he was diagnosed with cancer about 14 months ago in his uh, throat. And they thought it was isolated, but it seemed like it was, uh, had the possibility to spread. Well, went through lots of chemo, went through lots of radiation, and about uh, seven or eight weeks ago, had actually had the bone marrow transplant. And so came back, you know, four weeks ago, did some further testing, and the doctor told him, says, there's no cancer in your body. There is no cancer and so when I saw him at church a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's as if at one time Tom Farr understood what it meant to have cancer in his body. Tom Farr understood he may die from this if left untreated. But now somebody said to him, there is no cancer in your body. That's the same power of this verse in Romans 8.1. There once was condemnation upon you and I, but now there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore, sorry I have to keep doing this, I get, I get confused. There is therefore now, now, it is true of you now in the same way that it will be true of you when you do stand before God after your death. There is now no condemnation. There is therefore. So whenever you read a therefore in Scripture, what should you say? What is it therefore, right? Therefore is always a, <clears throat> a directional sign that points back. So Romans 8.1 says there is therefore. So therefore it really points back to the immediate context of Romans 7. 
We're going to read that in a minute. But, you know, Romans 7 is where Paul, struggling with uh, his sinful nature, he's saying, man, I want to do this, but, I'm not, but I do this, and I don't want to do that, and I do that. Oh, wretched man, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And then he kind of preaches the gospel to himself and says, wait a minute, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want this truth to settle on you. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Two categories of condemnation in this text that we must address. First of all, there's an objective condemnation and a subjective condemnation. Objective, one that is actual. Subjective is one that is felt. But let me explain from the text. Uh, Look at the beginning word in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, and verse 7. What's that word? Come on, extra credit. I'll tell Chris. For, for, for. So that word for there is the basis for what was stated. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. So then Paul says, here are the reasons why. For this happened, for this happened, for this happened. Let's look at the first one in um, verse 2. Reason number one, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now the law there is not the actual, well I'm about to fall off of this. The law is not actually the uh, word of God, but the law there refers to a principle. So he's saying, All of us are born because of sin. We're born under the principle of sin and death. Right? Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our law. So all of us are born under the law of sin and death. But what is the Spirit purpose in coming? To set us free. Set us free from the law of death and to set us free to the law of life. To illustrate, uh, as I think about Think about this, this judgment scene, the judgment of God in heaven. We stand before God at our death, and, and God is the judge. God is the righteous and holy judge. We stand before him, and, and the accusations come. Phil Chambers, guilty of rebelling against God, guilty of resisting God in his life. And then all of a sudden, the witnesses come in one by one. Satan, the biggest one, comes in and says, That Phil Chambers, let me tell you what he did. Then the law of God is a, testifies against us. Heck, even my own conscience betrays me. And so I'm standing there, and there is no other acceptable verdict than guilty. No one stands before God innocent. So then what happens is Jesus Christ, our Savior, walks in and says, Yes, Phil has sinned against you, righteous God. But also, he trusts in me. Also, he asked that I would forgive him of my sin. And so God the judge looks at me and says, you are guilty. But because all of your sin, because your punishment that you deserve has been placed on Jesus, I declare you not guilty. Think about if you are a condemned criminal... If the evidence, if there's video, if there's pictures, if there's 27 different witnesses that say you were the person who did it, and you stand before the judge, and this is an open and shut case that you were guilty, and you're facing death, you're facing imprisonment, 
And then all of a sudden, someone comes and says, I'll take his punishment for him. And then the judge says, you are not guilty. That's what justification is. In your outline, a quote there from J.I. Packer. Justification is a truly dramatic transition from the status of a condemned criminal awaiting a terrible sentence to that of an heir awaiting a fabulous inheritance. I mean, just think about that. Not only have you been set free in the courtroom, but you walk out and there's a stretch limo. You walk out and there's friends and there's favor and there's riches. So none of you have been set free, but you've been given so much in God. So reason number one is we have been set free. Reason number two there, and look at verse three. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What I love about that verse is it shows the initiative of God. For God did, for God took the initiative. For God did what we couldn't do. This whole passage talks about the role of the Trinity in our salvation. God took the initiative, Jesus took upon our sins, and the Spirit set free. But I also want you to notice the the powerlessness of the law. It says, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law... The law is not able to give us any ability to be right with God. And this is what, this is what exploded the minds of the Pharisees and, and the followers of Judaism. You know, because the law was everything, right? Keep the law. Follow the law. Are you keeping the law? All Ten Commandments? The whole law? And what Paul is saying in this statement is saying the law, he actually says in Romans 7, the law is good. So there's nothing wrong with the law. But it is powerless. It, it, you could keep every word, every verse in this, and it will not give you the ability to be right with God. Think about this silly example. I want the ability to fly. I mean, how awesome would that be? Just cruise right over to work, go right straight there, no traffic congestions. I haven't been given the ability to fly. I could flap my wings as long as I want. I'm not going to fly. Let's say I'm walking around Oak Mountain State Park and I find these beautiful feathers of a hawk. And I think, man, a hawk is so majestic how it just flies. So I grab two of them, I climb up to the top of my roof, and I'm thinking, hey, I've got feathers. I'm going to be able to fly. And I step to the edge. And for a second, think about those feathers representing the law. And so I'll, I'll hold on to them, and, I, and this is what we do what a lot of people do. They think the law for us, especially as Christians in America, is going to church, right? Being a good person, being a good neighbor, giving financially, whatever it may be, whatever the law that we think is going to make us right with God. So I step into my roof and I go, here I go, I got the feathers. Here's the law. And I jump off and I, what? Splat. (laughs) I drive to the ER on a Sunday afternoon. So that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, the law is powerless. You, it does not give you the ability to fly. God did what the law couldn't do. God, through the gospel, gives me the ability to fly. And then there's another poem in there uh, from John Bunyan. Love this. Love this. It says, Run, John, run. The law commands, but gives neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. It gives me wings. Isn't that significant? It not only says go and do, but it says I'm going to give you the ability to do. 
And that's what the gospel does. Reason number three, verse three, by sending his own son. I got tired up there. I like to walk around. Verse three, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Reason number three is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is because all of our sins has been laid upon Jesus. Condemnation happens in this passage, but where does it happen? It happens upon Jesus, who, not was, who was not sinful, but he was for sin for us. To summarize the truth from these verses is we're sinners deserving God's condemnation. Jesus took upon him the condemnation that we deserved. We have been set free from the law of sin and death, from the law to life. How does that truth impact you this morning? If you hear, there is therefore now no condemnation, no objective condemnation. This is such a familiar verse. This is such a familiar thought. Please don't let it just bounce off of you. If you are in Christ Jesus today, there is no condemnation. You are right with God. I can assure you in the promises of Scripture, God will never, ever be angry with you. But not only have we been set free from objective condemnation, we've also been set free from subjective condemnation. Look at verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, if our actual condemnation has been removed, why do we still feel condemned? Does some of you ever feel condemned in the Christian life? I hope so. <laughs> Some of you are frustrated in your walk with God. I know I am. I just keep thinking, man, I want to be this, but I'm not that. Or I blow it again. There's just certain sins that I keep giving into, whatever it may be. Whether it's apathy or addictions or anger. And those are just the A's. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of sins that we give ourselves to. And... And maybe you're like me, you also want to live for God. You're like, I do love God. I want to live for Him. But then I blow it. Or then I sleep late. Or then I blow up at my wife. Or whatever it may be. And I, and I feel condemned. I feel shame by that. And so that's that subjective condemnation. I, want to have, I have good news for you today. Um, not only are you alone, not you're not alone in that frustration, but one of the godly men that I know also uh, struggle with that. I'm not talking about Lanier. I'm talking about Paul in Romans 7. Romans 7. Look at Romans 7, verse 19. It says, For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's like a tongue twister, isn't it? But you know what it basically saying? He said, I want to do this, but I do that. I don't want to do that, but I do this. And he's frustrated with himself. I mean, there's that wrestle going on. If you are wondering if you are in Christ Jesus, I would say, do you, can you relate to what he's saying there in Romans 7? Do you feel that struggle's going on? I know before I was converted, I was converted at Sanford University uh, in undergrad here. And before I was converted... There were times where I attempted to live for God, but I didn't really care if I fell short of it. Or there wasn't this struggle going on. But when I became a new creation in Christ, all of a sudden, 
I felt this struggle. It's like, wow, I, I want to read the Bible. I want to delight in God's law. But I also want to do this with some of my former friends. And then I totally related to what Paul was saying there. He's saying, there's a struggle going on. So if you are wondering if you're in Christ Jesus, do you feel that struggle? If you feel that struggle, that's probably a good indicator that Christ is in you. How do we respond when we feel condemnation when we sin or when we don't live for God? First of all, response number one, go back to my first point. Believe in your justification. When you feel condemned, when you feel distant from God or God is displeased with you, I want you to run back immediately to your justification and say, it's the gospel. That's who I am, not who I think I am, who I think I am. Uh, That's why this uh, hymn by Charles Wesley, uh, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Which, by the way, I loved your worship. You guys have a talented worship. I just love it. Can we have them at our church? this old hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Listen to the, listen to the theology of it, but also appropriate, appropriate what it says. It says, Arise, My Soul, Arise. So he's talking to his soul. His soul is downcast. Kind of what, you know, the psalmist. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? He's saying, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. What's surety? It's a whole lot of sureness. Surety is, before the throne, my surety stands. And he's pleading for me. So if your soul feels guilty, and mine does a lot, and I have to think, wait a minute, my name is written on his hands. He's pleading before God and saying, "Uh uh-uh, this is one one of my children. And God's saying, that is one of my children. So allow that truth Appropriate that truth when you feel shame. But how do you tell the difference between what's true conviction and what's true condemnation? Where does conviction come from? The Spirit of God. Where does condemnation come from? Satan, our enemy. He is thrilled to pound you with shameful thoughts. Remember this, this, the spiritual armor in Ephesians 6? <clears throat> One of them is the shield of faith. What was the purpose of the shield of faith? It's to do what? To protect oneself, to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. So we hold that shield of faith. What do you think those flaming darts are coming towards you? You are, you are worthless. You failed God again. You call yourself a Christian. You say this, but you do that. Look at you. You can never overcome those past problems that you have. You blew up your, your kids again. And just this pounding you, shooting, continual... And that's what that shield of faith is. That faith is, I am in Christ Jesus. And I don't care what you have to say. 
Because what you say is not true of me from what God says of me. And I can either listen to you or I either can listen to God. In your outline there is um, comparison between condemnation and conviction. This is gold stuff right here. I said it because I didn't write it. I compiled it from a lot of different sources. But there's just some great stuff. Let me just fly through this and you take this home and um, try to isolate. Again, what we're looking for is isolating the voice in your head. Is this true conviction from God's Spirit or is this condemnation from Satan? What is condemnation's purpose? It's to keep us away from God by making us feel guilty. What is conviction's purpose? Draw us closer to God by making us feel truly sorry. What is condemnation's tone? Accusing, nagging, mocking. What is conviction's tone? A gentle, loving voice inviting us to return. Condemnation's message? Vague and general. Hopelessness, right? That's where you just feel like, oh man, I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to uh, pray. I'm never going to love God as much. It's just kinda, I'm hopeless. But what conviction, do, uh, what conviction does is a specific. He's saying, fix this one thing. And you'll be free. Condemnation's goal, isolate you. That's what Satan wants to do, keep you out of community. And I'll just make a parenthetical comment. The summer is very dangerous for a lot of us. Your small groups are have not meeting regularly, you know, people are coming in and out of service. Don't be isolated this summer. Seek out community with uh, one another. Condemnation is inward, self-focused, and dwells on the fact that I have sinned. Conviction Outward, God-focused, dwells on the fact that I have sinned against God. Isn't that what David did in Psalm 51? When he sinned, he said, God, against you, you only have I sinned. So that's what, that's what conviction does. It draws us uh, back to God. Condemnation leads us to believe that we'll never change. Conviction gives us hope that even though we sin, God is at still work within us. It's, it's funny. We, we have a set of twins. And there's one half full, one half empty uh, twin. Even the, you know, the same DNA and everything. And, and one of them is just like, oh, hopeless. Oh, got to go to a new church today. Oh, I'm never going to meet any new kids. And the other one over here is like, oh, new church. Exciting. You know, so there's this comparison between the two. That's sort of like condemnation and conviction. You know, condemnation is, oh, I've got to meet new people. I've got to go to a new place. Whereas uh, you know, conviction is, this is actually a good thing. God's at work in your life. So that's what, I, that's what the Spirit of God should be telling you. Um, condemnation sees God as an angry judge who could strike at any moment. Conviction sees God as a loving Father who disciplines His children. Condemnation can cause us to forget repentance because we are so inwardly focused. Conviction leads to quick but not hasty repentance. And condemnation's message is, remember all of your past sins. Conviction's message, remember what Christ has done for this sin. Isn't that good stuff? Hold on to that as you're wrestling with these thoughts in your head. I want you to start to isolate it and go, wait a minute, what is of Satan and uh, what is of God's Spirit? Because the problem is what Satan wants to do is make slaves of us with these, with these shameful, compelling thoughts. Let me give you a quick illustration. A brother and his sister were going to his grandmother's house. And when they got to the grandmother's house, the grandfather gave the little boy a slingshot. And every little boy loves a slingshot, right? Especially when there's woods behind grandmother's house. So he took a slingshot out, and he was just shooting everything, squirrels and birds and chipmunks. Didn't even come close to hitting anything. 
So he's walking back to his grandmother's house. And he sees his grandmother's pet duck out there. And he's thinking, what's the chances of me hitting that? I hadn't hit anything all day. Picks up a stone, slingshot. Boom! Duck drops dead. And the little boy is like, oh, no. (laughs) I just killed grandmother's duck. Grabs the duck. Runs behind the woodshed. I mean, the woodpile. Buries it. Walks out of the woodpile. And there's his sister, Sally. Sally had seen the whole thing happen. Walk back into the house. And uh, the grandmother says, Sally, uh, I want you to help me to get ready for dinner. And Sally begins thinking, looks at her brother, Johnny. And looks at the grandmother and says, no, grandmother. Actually, Johnny's going to help you get ready for dinner. And she leaned over and whispered in the ear of Johnny, remember the duck. Next day, grandfather wants to take Sally and Johnny fishing. But the grandmother says, Sally, no, I can't let you go fishing. I, I need you to do the chores around the house. And Sally looks at the grandmother and says, Actually, grandmother, Johnny would like to do the chores for the day. Walks over and whispers in his ear, Remember the duck. Well, this goes on about a week. And finally, Johnny just can't take it anymore. He rushes into grandmother, begins weeping and says, Grandmother, I am so sorry. I'm the one who killed your duck. I did it. Please forgive me. And the grandmother says, Johnny, I know. I actually saw it from my window when you did it. I just wanted to see how long you were going to let your sister make a slave of you. That's what Satan and his accusations tries to do to us. Make you a slave to what he says about you. And the whole time, you are free. Not only have we been set free from objective condemnation and subjective condemnation, but we have been set free to live for God. That's what Romans 8, 4 through 6 is a comparison between walking in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. So it's basically the truth of now that you have been set free, now you are to walk in the Spirit against the flesh. Very similar uh, story in John chapter 8. There's legitimate proof about whether that was actually included in John's original gospel, but what was taught there is actually seen in other parts of Scripture. So, remember the story of the adulterous woman brought in to Jesus? The, the religious leaders said, This woman has been caught in adultery. How should we handle her? Remember Jesus' famous words? It says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. It's a great way to cl- clear a room, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody leaves. And then Jesus looks at her and says, Woman, has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So it's that connection of, You are not condemned in my sight. Now, go and sin no more. See, we have been set free not only from sin, but we have been set free to live for God. So those who are believers, those who are who are breathing in the gospel, listen to the beautiful music of the gospel, those are the ones who are set free the most to live for God. That's what this passage teaches us. I asked the question at the beginning of the sermon is, how can you be sure 
that on the day that you die, you stand before God, you will not be condemned. If you are in Christ Jesus, if He is your Lord, your Savior, your trust, your delight is all in Him, then I can assure you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the back is a quote from Charles Spurgeon, Morning and Evening. Again, just take this. Make this one of your quiet times this week. Read through this. But let's see if I can just real quick. Look, look at the bold parts. I won't read the whole thing. You are in God's sight as perfect as if you had never sinned. None of your sins can condemn you. You are just as accepted by God today with all your sinfulness as you will be when you stand before His throne. Isn't that crazy? Right now, we are as perfect and delighted in my God as much as when we have a glorified body and we are without sin. So, so I urge you, take hold of this precious thought, perfection in Christ. You are as holy as the Holy One. And then he says, Christian, let your heart rejoice, for you are accepted in the Beloved. What do you have to fear? Keep a smile on your face. Live near your Master. And then it says, all because the Lord Jesus was made him to be sin who knew no sin. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to preach here again. But I hope, if you, you will forget my name, you'll forget who I am, but never, ever forget the assurance and the promise. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only have you been set free from the punitive punishment of the law, but you are now delighted in by God. Now that you are delighted in by God, go after living for Him. I hope Cross Creek makes a significant impact in Hoover. You already are, but don't give up. Push on. Seek the least. Seek the lost. And do it because you, at one time, were least and lost. And God took the initiative in your life to set you free. Let's pray. Father, uh, I do pray that you will actually let us believe this, uh, but make the connection between our minds and our hearts so that we would sense and believe your goodness, the truth that we are set free from condemnation. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that made that possible by giving of your life and your death. So, God... Grant us ears to believe and to hear this wonderful truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.